There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Give your Bibles. I want you to take them to Mark chapter number 14. If you would please stand, Mark 14, and we'll read down through verse number 26. A while back, we started looking at some of the feasts of Jesus and feasting at the table with Jesus. We looked at different ones of the a feast. We looked at a marriage, uh, 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 excuse me, a mercy feast. We looked at a miracle feast. We looked at a mountain feast. And here is a feast coming down right before the cross where Jesus died on the cross. Mark chapter number 14, look at verse number 12. Mark 14, verse number 12. In the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sent, sendeth forth two of his disciples and, sha- and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall ye meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And whosoever he shall go with, Say ye to the goodman of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he he answered and said unto them, It is the one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to them and said, Take ye, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want us to look this morning at a memorial feast. A memorial feast. We've looked at several different kinds, but this will be a memorial. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and I thank you that you do hear and answer our prayer. Whatever storm rages around us, God, you rise to the occasion when your disciples, when your people call upon you. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. 
God, that reminds us of how you rose to the occasion when he came to the saving of our souls. And Father, we look at this table that is before us and what is on full display is your saving work, what you did for us on the cross. And, and, and more than that, Father, this is a table of bounty, of, of, of your sufficiency. And Father, I pray that you'd show it to us as we look upon it this morning. Father, we pray for those that are here blinded by the God of this world. They know not the Lord Jesus in saving faith. I pray as we look at the elements of this table and what all takes place here, I pray their eyes would be open to the truth that Christ died for them and they would come and receive Him as Lord and Savior. But God, do hard work in all of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. We live not too far away from a location that is steeped in memorials. Not too far from here is the Chickamauga Battlefield, a national park, and and it is is a 5,300 square mile location that has memorials all through it. It has 1,400 memorials to commemorate the Civil War soldiers that gave their lives on its very grounds. You know, as you drive through that park, and I've been there on many occasions, it seems as though each monument calls you to come and stand before it, to reflect on the, upon the lives of, of these de, uh, departed soldiers and remembered, remember the blood that they shed in that battle. More recently, a memorial was constructed in Oklahoma City to commemorate the bombing of the Alfred P. Mora building there back in 1995, I believe. A dramatic arch uh, is, is shown there with three separate times. One is the time 901, which represents the last moments of peace before the building went through its destruction. In the midst of the monument, there is the time 902. That is the moment of the building's destruction. And at 903 began the first moments of recovery. The memorial includes nine rows of bronze and stone chairs representing uh, the 168 people killed that day. On On September the 11th, 2011, in New York City, A memorial was dedicated to those that gave their lives in 9-11. Located at the former uh, World Trade Center complex, the memorial shows two enormous waterfalls uh, down into reflecting pools set within the footprints of the original buildings of the Twin Towers. The names of every victim of the attack are inscribed on parapets uh, surrounding the entire waterfall. Now, even, uh, even now, there are talks in Chattanooga. Matter of fact, a, uh, a, a nonprofit organization has already been started to raise funds to do memorials at the uh, military recruitment center on Lee Highway, and then also at the Naval Reserve off of Amnicola. Both sites of the uh, July the sixteenth shootings that took place here in Chattanooga to set up lasting memorials that will be there. These memorials mark the tragic taking of lives. And they somehow help us come to terms with what has happened and prevent us from ever 
forgiving what has taken place. You know, I tell you that to ask you this. Have you ever thought about why Jesus did not, while He was on this earth and days prior to His crucifixion, why He didn't take His disciples to Bethlehem and, and say, this stable where I was born, you need to build a memorial there to my life. He didn't take them down by the Jordan River where He was baptized and say, it is here in this place where God opened the heavens and the Spirit came down upon me as a dove. Here, make a reflecting pool, a monument, a place of reflection upon my life. He did not even go to Golgotha and tell them here, this is where you will gather to remember my life, to remember what I have done for you in this place. No, Jesus never did such a thing. He never gave any such instructions. Instead, Jesus prescribed not a construction of a memorial monument, but the creation of a memorial meal. We know it as communion or or the Lord's Supper. It has been repeated by the church of the living God since He instituted it on this very day captured in our text. Ever since this meal was instituted, it's been an act, a part of our worship. Some the frequency is the frequency of that meal is not specified in the scriptures. Some there are some Christian denominations that observe it every time they gather, they partake of the Lord's Supper. Some do it weekly. Some do it as a, a monthly thing. We at this church do it every fifth Sunday, where we do it in a frequency, but not so frequent that we take it for granted, that we don't think about what we're doing, but. But we do this to remember what Christ has done for us in His death, burial, and His resurrection. You know, when we look at this memorial meal, there are three key facets that we need to remember to draw in close uh, to us, to embrace, to be a fresh, uh, to bring freshly to mind our mind and heart, all of what Christ has done for us. You see, this meal is very much, like many of the other ones, a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And I want us to look at it in three different locations. Number one, I want you to see, first of all, we must esteem the rescue of His body. The rescue of His body. Remember, They were gathered in that upper room to observe what? The Passover. They were observing the Passover. The Passover was a memorial meal that was instituted, that commemorated uh, the, uh, the, the meal that was eaten by the Jews in Egyptian captivity on the night that the death angel passed through and he killed every Young, every firstborn son who did not have the lamb's blood on the lintel and the doorposts of the, of the home. It was a commemoration of deliverance. Well, this meal is a deliverance commemoration meal as well. Very similar to the one that was instituted at the Passover, but, but not but for the death of a lamb. 
but for the death of the Lord. You see, this commemorated the deliverance by the body of our Lord Jesus. Notice in verse number 22 in our text in chapter 14. And, and as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. When we look at this verse, I want you to remember first of all the symbol. The symbol. It would have been fitting if Jesus would have used the lamb as his symbol. Obviously the lamb was there. That was part of the Passover meal was the roasted lamb brought to the table and and reminding them of the lamb that was sacrificed back in Egypt and its blood placed on on the doorpost. But Jesus didn't use the lamb. Even even after John the Baptist proclaimed from the from the shores of the Jordan River, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb would have been a fitting item to use as a symbol for Christ in this memorial bill. But Jesus didn't use the Lamb. He took up the bread. The bread was a symbol of His body. Now, I I use the word symbol very purposefully. There are some that teach today in certain certain Christian circles that this bread becomes the flesh of the Lord Jesus. That, That when it is broken, when it is blessed and handed to the individual and they take it into their bodies, that it becomes the literal flesh of Jesus. Now, any DNA testing of that item in the body of that believer will prove that that bread did not become the flesh of Jesus. When he said in verse number 22, Take ye, this is my body. He did not mean that the bread became his body. No, testing that item in that person's body, uh, the bread inside that person's body will prove that it is not human flesh. It is still bread. No, Jesus is using symbolic language and He's done it all through His ministry. For just a few examples, Jesus told of a crowd that He gathered that day, I am the door by any man. If he'll come through, he'll find, he'll find rest to his souls. Jesus said, I am the door, but that did not make him a hinged piece of furnishing to allow someone to come in and out of a location. No, no. Jesus was using a symbol. In John 6.35, he said, I am the bread of life. Again, he refers to himself as bread, but he was not a piece of bread. Jesus was using bread as a symbol. He used a door as a symbol. Here, He is using the symbol of bread again. Bread is the mainstay of life. You know, bread is ingested and it becomes a part of us. You know, bread is like one of those things you always seem to have to have around the house. Bread and milk. Bread is a mainstay of life. And at this table... The bread symbolizes the physical 
body of Jesus. You know, Jesus was not an apparition. He wasn't a ghost that hovered a few inches off of the ground. He was a flesh and bone body, just like yours and mine. He had an elbow. He had a pinky. He had a, he had a toe. He was just like you and I, a flesh and body. And Jesus is making a symbol. This bread symbolizes my body. Now notice second of all, we not only see a symbol, but we see a suffering. This bread is a reminder of His suffering. You know, bread is not a vegetable. You know, you, you, can, uh, you can take a vegetable, you can go out into the garden and take a good knife and cut a vegetable from its, uh, from its source, maybe a squash or a tomato, even better, a tomato. You can pull a tomato off of the vine and rub it on your elbow, wipe the dirt off, and you can go and eat that thing. You can take corn off of the stalk and it might be a little crunchy, but you can bite into it. It's, it's fully ready. It's ready to eat. But that's not the case with bread. Is that right? Bread is made from wheat and barley. It has to be cut down. It has to be threshed. It has to be ground or milled into a, like a powder. It has to be placed with oil and, and kneaded and, and pushed together. I've told you this before. Bread has a, a process to it. It, it. it must pass through the, the ovens, the fire, in order to be baked. Remember, this is a memorial meal. It's, it's a, remo- a memorial. It's something that we are used to remember. What are we remembering concerning the body of Jesus? Jesus is telling them, you're going to need this to remember what has happened to me. This bread is a memorable, uh, an item of memory. What is He saying? You see, this is a remembering item for the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. There is every, uh, there, for there ever to be life-giving salvation, for there ever to be redemption from sin and rescue from the judgment of God, there must be bread of life. There must be Jesus Christ, He must endure the blasts of suffering at the hands of Roman soldiers. He had to endure the agony of the tormentor's lash. He had to endure the firing, raging fires of the cross of Calvary. Jesus was beaten and battered and bruised to make a way of salvation. Life-giving bread. What we take and give us sustenance and life is what Jesus had to endure. When we hold that little piece of wafer in our hands, we are to look upon it and think of the body of Jesus broken, bruised, beyond recognition. The Isaiah the prophet said he could not be recognized as a man. He was wounded and bruised and, and, and laid low by the cross of Calvary. We are to remember the suffering of Jesus in this bread. Notice also, we see not only the symbol, His suffering, but we see His substitution. You see, was this some brutal, senseless act of violence that would take place to Jesus? When we look at this bread, are we to just remember only that someone was violently killed? Was Jesus, was Jesus just in the wrong place at the wrong time? No. Listen to what 1 Peter 2.24 Who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree. That we, 
Being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. First Peter uh, uh, three eighteen. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. First Corinthians fifteen three. Christ died for our sins. Second Corinthians five twenty one. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. This bread is, is to not only cause us to remember the broken body of Jesus but the broken body of Jesus that was substitute for yours and mine. It should have been my cross. It should have been my crown of thorns. It should have been my suffering that He took upon Himself on, on that cross. He took my place. I was the one that should have endured the judgment of God uh, for my own sin. But in love, Jesus bled and died on that cross. He paid my sin debt in His own body on the cross. Christ's suffering body on the cross was meant to rescue me. When we look at this bread, we think of the rescue Jesus in His body took the bullet of God's wrath in my stead. Oh, listen, when we look at this bread, when we come to this table, I know it feels like it's a Lord's Supper night, but this is a meal to concentrate on. When we look at this table, we see His substitution, His death, His body for mine. Mine should have been brutally mangled beyond beyond recognition because of my rebellion, my hatred for God, my iniquity, my violations of His law. How guilty I am before God. And yet He stood in my way. He took my place. I was released. I was in bondage. I was Barabbas who was destined to writhe in agony on a cross in pain for my rebellion, my insurrection. And Jesus steps forward takes my place. The bread of this table reminds us of His rescuing body. He rescued us. Notice also we need to not only esteem the rescue of His body, but to embrace the redemption of His blood. Look at verse 23. And He took the cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, and they, and they, all, they all drank of it. And He said to them, This is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many verily I say unto you I will not I will, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God you know it's a shame in many christian circles today that blood the blood of Jesus has been discreetly removed because it has been found to be too gory for the sensitivities of modern man. Now we can watch enough movies and and TV shows with blood and guts to float a battleship, but when it comes to our worship, oh, we can't have that blood stuff. We can't have that blood of Jesus uh, stuff in our in our, our worship. But blood is vital to the redemptive economy of God from the distant pages uh, of, of the different distant passages of the sacrifices in the Old Testament to the Levitical attention to blood in the, in the covenant law of Moses unto the New Testament teaching of Christ. This book is a book of blood. Blood is vitally important in the worship 
of, of God. You see, there is not, uh, there is not something to which should, this is not something which should repulse us, but in reality, it should draw us to it. I know people have different sensitivities. Some people faint at the sight of blood. I've never experienced that. I've never gotten woozy. But some people do. But this blood, this blood should have all of our attention given it. Jesus uses this cup. Now, first of all, I want you to see his symbol. We should, we should note, notice, first of all, excuse me, the picture. Like the bread, the wine, or as we might call it, the grape juice. We could go into a longer discourse in this. The best of the, of the wine was not that which had been setting and, and had fermented into alcohol. The best of which was the fresh juice that was given. And so we could see this word, oinos, I believe it's used here as a word meaning grape juice or wine. We could call it either here. Here Jesus he uses this wine to give us a picture. You know, grape juice or wine was a part of the Passover meal. There was different elements of the Passover meal set out. The lamb and the bread and the different elements of the table of Passover. And one of those was the wine. And it was used to commemorate the night that the death angel came through Egypt's land. Now, do you remember that night? The, the declaration of God was, that all of the people were to go into their homes. First of all, they were to set aside a lamb for several weeks. Make sure it didn't have a spot or blemish. It was not ill in any way. Then they were to kill that lamb. They were to drain the blood from that lamb. They were to roast that lamb and make it part of a meal that they were to eat. Prepared to go and leave in God's deliverance on the morrow. But one thing that was said in God's declaration was that they were to take the blood of that lamb and they were to go to the lintel and the doorposts of their home. Now that would be you know, pieces of trim maybe on the outside of the door. And they were to take and paint blood, splash the blood all on the outside of the door. And God said in His declaration that the night of that Passover, the night of that judgment, the death angel would come through the land and at any place where the blood was not applied, the firstborn child within would die. Any place where the blood was found, we see that it would pass over that, 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 domus, that place of residence. No harm would come to that child. And so Jesus takes this cup and He tells the disciples that the wine within it was a symbol. A picture, again, there are many people believe that once it's blessed, once it's ingested, it actually becomes blood, flesh and blood. But I, I dare say that if you ingest that and we were to cut up your stomach and DNA test what is in there, it would still be juice, grape juice. It would not be Physical human blood. Jesus is not talking about some mystical thing in which the elements are turned into that substance. He is speaking of a symbol. And Jesus takes this symbol of the grape juice as His blood. And it's a fitting one, isn't it? The, the grape juice, isn't it a fitting one of Christ's blood? You know, grape juice doesn't just happen and leak out of a grape. A grape has to be crushed. 
It has to be pummeled. It has to be squeezed and, and, and pressed beyond its measure. And the blood or the, 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 uh, the juice from the, uh, the grape comes out. This is a picture of what would take place in the coming hours to the Lord Jesus who would shed His blood on Calvary's cross. Notice first of all and second of all, not only the picture, but the principle. The principle. Back in Exodus chapter number 12, verse number 13, it said, And the blood shall be for you, uh, to you for a, a token upon the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. Then I, when I smite the land of Egypt. To God, it was the sight of the blood. The sight of the blood of the innocent lamb that stayed the judgment hand of God upon that people. And Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh atonement for your soul. This is echoed in Hebrews 9.22, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Sin cannot be forgiven without the shedding of blood. So the principle of blood is that that blood of the blood of the innocent pardons the sin of the guilty. The blood of the innocent. That lamb had never done anything to deserve to be killed. Yet at that Passover night, its throat was slit and its blood was drained from its body. It did not deserve that. It was innocent. It was a lamb. And yet it must die for the sins of a people. There's the picture, the principle, now the price. The Old Testament economy of blood and bulls and goats and lambs that was, were sacrificed for sin was a teaching ground for the principle of atonement. Do you know what all that Old Testament stuff is about? It is a teaching ground. It is a teaching place in which God is taking His people and preparing them for the Messiah that would come. They were, he was preparing them and teaching them that He was sending a Messiah. Because the truth of the matter is, no animal, as innocent as it may be, no precious little baby rabbit that looked so innocent could ever possibly take our sin. Because a lamb or an animal or a little bitty bunny cannot take my place. Something has to take my place kind for kind. It must take my place, and, and, and one must take my place kind for kind. You see, that is why in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, the Word made flesh to dwell among us, and thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. And by this heaven sent specific source, Sufficient sin cleansing blood was revealed to mankind. You needed a person to take your place. Not an animal. Not a lamb. Not a bullock. Not a goat. They cannot pay for sin. It had to be kind for kind. You needed a Messiah. 
You needed a Christ, a, a spotless one, a sent one from God. Hebrews 9.12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hebrews 10.45, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats could take away sins. Wherefore, when He cometh into the world, He saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou prepared for me. When we look into this cup, we remember the blood that ran down the face of Jesus from the thorns on His brow. When we look into this cup, we, we, we think of the streams of blood that, that flooded from His back at the soldier's lash. We remember the blood that tripled, trickled from His hands and feet uh, while He was nailed to the Golgotha's cross. We, we remember the blood that spewed from His side by the Roman soldier who thrust His spear into His body. We remember redemption. The new covenant cut at Calvary. You see, this blood represents the only individual that can ever deliver us from sin. There weren't, there aren't a myriad of Jesus. There is only one. You, you may say to yourself, Brother Ronnie, if blood is so important for the worship of God, how come we have no blood sacrifices? How come we do not cut ourselves and shed blood? How, how come we do not have blood mixed in somehow in our worship? Because it only took one. One. Blood's vital to our worship. We can't worship God without blood. And there is only one source of that blood. And it is Jesus. By believing on Him, what we do in, in the picture of this table is we turn back this cup and imbibe who He is. It becomes part of us. He be, we become one with Him. It is the Christ's blood shed for us. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, or from the vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Peter is telling us that Jesus' blood is not the lamb's blood, it's the lamb of God's blood. It is His designated substitute. It is His blood that paints the little and doorposts of our heart so that in the day of judgment God passes over us without, without a single blow of judgment upon us. Oh, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. Notice last of all, we must not only esteem the rescue we find in His body and embrace the redemption that is in His blood. But we must enjoy the riches of His bounty. There's more to this table than just these two elements. I know this is what constitutes our Lord's Supper, but at this meal, remember we're looking at the whole meal, there is much more there. When we concentrate, listen, when we concentrate on the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus, because of our love for Him, because of our love for the man that Jesus is and what He's done for us, our hearts may turn to sorrow. You know, when we, we sit and concentrate about what Jesus has done for us, 
on the cross and, and, and it fills our minds and hearts. It may elicit tears of sorrow, of, of, of tears of mourning for what Jesus endured. But we must never forget this meal is a celebration meal. This meal is a celebration. You see, it is filled with promise. He said, he said in that uh, verse number 25, Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of this fruit of the vine until that day I drink it new with new in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, listen, this is not the end of the story. The shedding of my blood, the breaking of my body on the cross is not the end. This is a celebration. It's a resurrection celebration of Jesus Christ. Yes, He did die, but He did not stay dead. Three days later, that once cold body in death became warm with life. Three days later, He come out of the tomb. God rolled the stone away. Roman guards fell to the ground at the very presence of the living Christ. He made Himself known and seen among the apostles and the disciples. He saw the, the disciples Mary and the others and they touched Him. They felt Him. He was alive. He rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. When we come to this table, we're to enjoy the riches of Christ. We're not to stand over in the corner with a, with a little cup of juice and a little piece of bread and, and weep tears of sorrow Tears of joy. Tears of gladness for what He has done for us in these things. Notice, first of all, I want you to see that we in the riches of His bounty, we are to be sopping from the plenty of Christ. Sopping from the plenty of Christ. Look back in verse number uh, number uh, 20. Jesus said, He answered and said, remember Jesus had just told them there was going to be a traitor in their midst. And they're all saying, is it I? Is it I? They weren't pointing at each other. You know, that just really tells us something about these men. They weren't made of iron. They were made of flesh. Any one of them could have thought, well, I could betray Him. I could walk away. They said, is it I? Is it I? Look at verse number 20. And He said unto them, it is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. Now, there were not only they were not only eating bread and drinking wine, but they were dipping or sopping in a dish. They would take a morsel of bread and and they would uh, take that morsel of bread and they would dip it into a bowl of of what would be like a combination of vinegar and oil. It would be. Uh, like a dressing almost, not Thousand Island or ranch, but it would be like an oil and vinegar. And they would have spices in it and they would dip that bread in there and they would, they would eat that bread as part uh, of that meal. It was a, it was a delicious, uh, delicious kind of adding to the table. You know, usually when I go to a restaurant and I finish a delicious entree, I like I don't know about you, but I like to take the bread, the little biscuit they give you, tear it apart, and when nobody's looking, I'll all the way around that plate. Now listen, if I'm buying this meal, I'm paying for it, I'm going to enjoy every drop of it. Amen. And I like getting that gooey stuff at the bottom of the bowl and the bottom of the plate. My wife may roll her eyes at me every now and then because of it, but I, I'm getting that stuff at the bottom. That's the good stuff at the bottom. That's sopping. Well, well, when you imagine them sitting at the table, that's the kind of the idea. Is that they're, they're kind of just 
This, listen, Jesus didn't need the Jesus didn't need this bowl for the Lord's Supper. He didn't need this bowl of of uh, that uh, vinegar and oil uh, to dip and sop up. He didn't need that. All he needed was the bread and the cup. This is extra. This is something that's uh, extra on the table. It's a, it's not part of the ordinance. It's an extra bowl of blessing, so to speak. This table was meant to be enjoyed. Not, not only did Jesus die for me, gave His body on the cross, shed His blood on the cross for my sin, He gave me so much more. John 10.10 10 says, I am, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life, and not only life, but life abundantly. There is an abundance of life. Christ not only gave His life for me, He gave me the abundance of life. When Christ came into my life, He gave me a bowl of mercy. Boy, I needed that and I still need it all the time. God gave me a bowl of grace, His unmerited favor. Where I, where my limitations lie, God steps in in a bowl of grace. He gave me a full bowl of provision. How many times has God met my need when I could have, I could have limped along fine? I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But God has met my need and provided for me and my family. Well, that's just extra gravy on the top, isn't it? That's just, that's just supping and uh, that's just a uh, supping stuff right there that God, God gives us, gives us a bowl of provision, gives us a bowl of purpose. As a young teenager, uh, a young, no, as a young 20 something in college, and when basketball was over, I had no idea where I'd go, what I'd do. Nothing else in life had meaning, and he came in and gave me a purpose, gave me a reason, gave me a life to live. Bowl full of purpose, a bowl full of blessing. I came to the table of God, uh, looking to take care of my sin problem, and I got so much more out of it. He gave me life. He gave me more than I ever possibly deserved. So many of us today are merely surviving the Christian life when we could be thriving on that extra plenty, that extra bounty that God gives us at His table. Not only the sopping from the plenty of Christ, but the singing to the praises of Christ. Look at verse number 26 at the end of this passage. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the mount. Of olives. One preacher I love, Brother Tom Hayes, one of my favorite. Kerry was there the night I think he said this. He was preaching in this text. And he said, When I was a young man, I used to preach out of this text, and I'd, I'd preach a message with this, with this outline Sipping, supping, sopping, and singing with Jesus. <laughs> That's a good outline. They were, they were sipping of that grape juice, that wine. They were supping, having dinner on that bread. They were supping that vinegar down in that bowl. And they were singing in the last. Singing. Text says that they sung a hymn. More than likely they sang the traditional Passover hymns from Psalm 115 to 18. Now I'm not going to read all those this morning, but just give you a sample. Psalm 117, 1 and 2. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. For His merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, listen. There is something about praise that's just extra in the life of a believer. I love it in the times when we come into God's house 
and we get to sit in the, in the pew and, and we begin to worship the Lord Jesus. I don't know if you've been missing our Wednesday nights while we've been up in heaven. You've been missing something. We've been worshiping Jesus on Wednesday and those times when we come in and we lift up and we, we get a vision for who God is and we sing His praises and there's just something about worship that just helps our heart, helps my heart, strengthens my body, gives me a, a strength within, a reserve to continue to face life that He's given us, that He's put before us. Oh, His praises of thanksgiving cause our hearts to overflow with love. There is a plenty, there is a bounty in Jesus. You know, in close, I read the story of a Roman soldier by the name of Lucilius. Lucilius. Lucilius, probably. Lucilius was known for a life of extravagance. He was a Roman soldier, well paid, and Lucilius had uh, always had the finest clothes. Lucilius would buy the best looking clothes to wear. Spent a, mo- a lot of money on banquets and food. He would have great and large parties and invite a lot of people to his table. One night, he had the servants comp- create a, a huge feast at a table. And the servants begin to ask, my dear Lucilus, who will feast with Lucilus tonight? His response was this, Lucilus will feast with Lucilus tonight. That means that he was having a banquet just for himself. I'm the only one coming to this table. I'm the only one that could eat from this table. I'm the only one that can enjoy and draw nourishment and draw health from this table. He was the only one to eat that night. I thank God when He gave a memorial table that He didn't say, this table is just for me. But He invites us to come and eat that table. He invites every one of us to come take His body wounded and bruised for our behalf. His stripes bear our healing. His body bruised for our iniquities. His blood. His blood redemption's price paid on the cross. Come take and eat. Come let Christ be part of your life, your body, your person, your belief, your heart, your mind, your soul. Come to the table. Come to the table to sop. from His bounty, to lean back and enjoy all that He gives us in Himself. His grace, His mercy, His love, His kindness. Oh, what bounty God gives us. Let our hearts ring with the songs of praise to a wonderful benefactor, a wonderful heavenly Father, a wonderful bridegroom that will come and retrieve His church. Come to the table tonight. Come to the table. All things have been prepared. All things are now ready. Come. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, come. Come to the table. His body and His blood has been prepared for you. Made sufficient for the forgiveness of sin. The pardoning of iniquity. Made sufficient for a life of bounty and fulfillment of love and grace and mercy of everything the human heart needs and desires. Would you stand to your feet, Billy Kevin and Sister Delcy, if you come with a song of invitation, every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking in this room. If you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
I invite you to a table. A table that's been prepared. First of all, you have to recognize your sin. You've got to know that you broke God's law. You don't deserve to come to this table. You have no right to approach God in your sin. You have no right to approach Him in your rebellion against Him. But I want you to know that Jesus has prepared a table. Won't you come and take Him? He shed His blood to pay the atoning price to be right with God. He, he, he gave His body on the tree so that He might rescue your body and bring you unto eternal life. Come. Come to Jesus today. Trust Him as Lord and Savior. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You. I thank You for this table and I pray You'd speak to our hearts through it. God, help us to be mindful of it the next time we experience that Lord's Supper and its place before us. Bring these truths to our minds, Father. Thank you for your bounty that you've given us, bounty of love and mercy. God, thank you. Pray that you would bless this message to our hearts. Grow us by it. Strengthen and save souls. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand Podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.